Well, Merry Christmas. It's an unusual, unprecedented Christmas. I saw this week that Oxford's dictionary said officially that the unprecedented use of the word unprecedented has truly become unprecedented. We have used it again and again and again, but it is true. It's different. It feels different. That There's some parts of Christmas that just aren't exactly the same as they've been in the past. The number of events and parties and gatherings and school activities and school plays or um, school parties being there with the kids and shopping is not quite lots of online so that was already shifting but more Christmas Eve for us will be different uh, it's the first time for our family um, in many years uh, 13 14 years when we haven't had to be here um, on Christmas Eve for with all of you that we're going to be together online and, and virtually but it's just a different kind of year but there are some things that um, are familiar uh, we've had a little more time this year, it feels like, to watch some Christmas movies. The classics like uh, Elf and It's a Wonderful Life and uh, Home Alone. And the, uh, I wouldn't use the word classic for Hallmark movies, but we've watched some of those as well. Um, I assume people are still giving gifts by the number of times that Amazon has passed my house um, or a UPS truck or has delivered things, I assume. Gifts are still happening. We still see decorations. In fact, in our neighborhood, at least, it feels like there are more decorations than there have been in the past. I'm not really sure if that's true or not. It just feels that way. Um, and the music. the You know, the music is on radio stations and playing from our Spotify list and all of that. And so I want to start today by just asking you a question because we've been, we've been talking over the last few weeks about the songs in the book of Luke. And so I wonder what it, you're here in person. You can answer this out loud. Um, if you're online, you can put it in the comments or let us know. What's your favorite Christmas carol? All right. I'm not going to, I'm not talking about the, 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 um, Christmas adjacent songs out there. All right. I'm not talking about songs out there that are kind of around Christmas or Christmas time. We're not talking about diehard Christmas songs. All right. So what, what is your favorite Christmas carol? Your Christmas hymn? What is it? Silent night. We got silent night out there. Oh, holy night. We got that one out there. Oh, little town of Bethlehem. Casey comes a little more obscure. That's good. All right. All right. Anybody else? Away in a manger. All right. Let me tell you mine. Over the last, mine changes from year to year almost. It feels like it feels like at some point in the year that you'll hear that and you're like, man, I don't know that I've ever really heard like that line in that song or it just feels different. But for the last two or three years, for whatever reason, a song that we actually sang today has been my favorite Christmas carol. And it's Hark the Herald Angels Sing. I love that carol. All right. I love that song. It was written originally by a guy named Charles Wesley in 1739. He, the title he made for it was Hymn for Christmas Day. And it didn't sound or the words weren't exactly what we sing. In fact, the first lines of that were, Hark how all the welkin rings. Glory to the King of Kings. Now, welkin is an old English word that means all the sky. And so look at how the sky rings. And it was slow. And almost morbid sounding. In 1758, Wesley's good friend George Whitefield decided that if people were going to sing it, he had to change a few words. And so he gave us the familiar Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory 
to the newborn king. And um, a little bit later in the 1800s, a guy named Cummings took some of Mendelssohn's cantata and said, if people are going to sing it, it's got to be a little more upbeat. And so they did that in 1961, which seems late to me, was the first time that they took that opening line and made it the refrain that you do at the end of all of it. But it has become one of the most beloved Christmas carols. And it has just remarkable theology throughout. When you think about that first verse, it is a call for us to enter into the praise that the angels are giving. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Let's walk into that. Let's get into the singing and the celebrating. And then the next two verses tell us why. Because of who Christ is. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, God in the flesh. It's not just that we join the triumph in the sky for who he is, but also for what he does. That's what that third verse, mild he lays his glory by, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. It's just a remarkable, simple description of the good news of Christmas. And it's so good with theology because it has a great source material, which is Luke chapter 2. If you got your Bible, start with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 8 today. Just tell you that we are um, going to, we are not going to read the actual part where Jesus is born. Hopefully you'll read that on Christmas Eve or Christmas with your family. But I want to get to this last song that happens in the book of Luke, and just think about what it means for us. This is what we're going to do today, really. We're going to walk, we're going to read the whole part, the whole section, and then we're going to go back and walk through what the message is in all of this. Starting in verse 8 of chapter 2, it says this. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields, keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was a multitude with the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven. And peace on earth to people he favors. Glory to God in the highest. And peace on earth. Just to be real honest with you, we're reading this out of the Christian Standard Bible. It's a great translation. It has some technical advantages over some others. But when this is one of those passages in my mind that when I read it, I jump back into the King James Version. Sometimes I even stumble over words because I just heard it so much and frequent with it. Then I think about how it says that glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. The idea here is that God is to be glorified in all that he is, but also because of what he has just done. And the song, the announcement before the song are remarkable reminders to us of why Christmas matters. 
Now, when you take away all the gifts, and I enjoy that, when you take away all the music and festivities, and even this year we've had to, in some ways, have Christmas pared down a little bit. When you take away all the external stuff, the central core of the importance of Christmas is encapsulated in a few verses that center around a song of the angels. And so the shepherds are there. It was a normal night for them. Everything was like it had always been. And an angel, the angel of the Lord, stood before them. And the glory, the brightness, the, the majesty, the weight, that word means, of the Lord shone around them. And they were scared to death. And then you have these words. Now, we've had announcements from angels already in the passages that we've done. We did it the first two weeks with Mary with Zariah, Simeon had had something revealed to him, and we have these declarations, but this is the most concise telling of the importance of Christmas in Scripture. It tells them right there, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. I just want to break that down for a minute, just even a little phrase by phrase, because the first thing I see there, the first thing that I think about there is the word good news. I'm bringing to you good news. I'm excited about what I'm going to tell you. We know that when we get good news, that we want to express it. We want to let somebody know. We want somebody else to be a part of it. I don't know about you, but I have um, I have kids that can keep secrets. And I have some that we don't tell what we got anybody for Christmas. Right? Because some of us are better at holding things in than others. And when we get good news, sometimes we're better at holding that in than others. But here's what I love about this particular phrase. I have come to proclaim to you good news. The word that is used here in the original language is uangelatsamai. And all God's people said, what? Right? It's Greek, and it means the good news shared to you, but it is the almost, you can almost write it out in the English form, and it becomes the word evangelism. Euangelio, evangelism, comes from a word that means good, euangelio, which is message or news. And this literally is the verb form evangelizing. The angel of the Lord comes literally saying, I'm evangelizing you today. I'm telling you good news. And this is not just any good news. This is not some random good news. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is the best news. The News that the world has been waiting on since the Garden of Eden. The news is here and it is good news. I am bringing it to you. One of the interesting things I think about this particular passage is that there's this understanding. We're not even going to get there today, but the shepherds go. We know the story, right? We've, we kind of know the Christmas story. The shepherds go. They see the baby. They see Mary. They're excited about that. It says they go out and it says immediately they begin to tell everybody they see what has happened and everyone is amazed. What I think is interesting is we do have this picture in Scripture of the angels evangelizing the shepherds and the shepherds immediately evangelizing the people. But the call on our lives is that when we hear the good news, it should be that we are a conduit of the good news 
two people around us. So the angel says, I have come today evangelizing. I am bringing the good news. That's literally the word and the phrase that we get to use the word gospel. I'm bringing to you the gospel. And it's not just any gospel. It is good news. And then the phrase is of great joy. Now we as believers can live in a world filled with joy. In fact, God created this world in a way that we would be able to find joy in various places around us. Through nature, through beauty, through kind words with one another, through the relationships we have, through family gatherings, through warm embraces, through a cool breeze on a hot day, through a great meal that we enjoy. We can discover and find joy. But what is described here is not normal, common joy. In fact, it, the phrase great joy there, if you look at the original language, I know I'm doing a lot of original language today, but it's important. When you look at the original language, the word before joy is the word megan, M-E-G-A-N in the original language, which we take today to just be mega. Great, huge, ginormous joy. Now here's why that is important. Scripture has joy all throughout it. Over 200 times in the English translations of the Bible, the word joy is used. But less than 10 times in the Bible is the word great, either in Hebrew or Greek, put with joy to make that joy more than just normal joy. Nine times, in fact. In 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 40, at the height of Israel's golden era, when David is passing the mantle to his son and is anointing him, it says that it was done with great joy. In 2 Chronicles chapter 30, when the Passover celebration is restored after generations of neglect, it says it was restored and there was great joy. In Nehemiah chapter 12, when the walls is, are rebuilt in a way that nobody thought could happen, it says that it was done with great joy. Joy. And then here, where the angels declare that this is good news of great joy. In the book of Matthew, chapter 2, wise men come and rejoiced with great joy. In Matthew and Luke, it is used again at the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. And then just two other times in the New Testament. Acts 15, 3, when it says, And Gentiles were welcomed into the family of God without restriction. They rejoiced with great joy. And in Jude 24, when it describes us coming into the presence of God, it says there will be great joy. It is a rare thing to hear great joy. This isn't normal every day. Man, that was fun. Man, that was a great experience. That was exhilarating. Man, I got a lot of joy out of that. And that's important. That is vitally important. But what we're talking about here, what the angel is bringing to these shepherds is this. This is not ordinary run-of-the-mill kind of joy. This is good news, gospel of great, mega, ginormous joy. And then there's that little phrase at the end that will be for all the people. Now, I've been here over 13 years, and we've talked about this every, seems like every couple of weeks, right? Y- y'all know what the word all means. All means all. All people. You know what I love about that coming from the angel? Is that it's demonstrated 
by the people to whom they told this in the first place. These shepherds were outcasts. It tells us they were watching their flocks at night. That meant they were apart. They were away. They were away from a civilization, a settlement. In fact, most shepherds in that day were thought not just to be like outcasts or cast-offs or the least of these, but most shepherds in that day were thought to be robbers, thieves, people that stole things, people that went against the norms of society. That lived by the idea, what's yours is mine, and what's mine is mine. So they were thought to be the lowest of the low. They weren't welcome to the temple. They weren't welcome to worship. And yet the announcement of the birth of the Son of God is given to the outcasts and the downtrodden and to those who are most in need. Jesus came for everyone. For the outcast, for the broken. For those that have spiritual issues. For those that are desperate for rescue. For the poor and the needy and the wealthy. And those that think they have it together, but it's in their own strength. And those that have walked away from the Lord and don't even realize it. And those that have walked away from the Lord and they've known every step they're taking. Jesus has come for all. This is good news. Evangelism with great joy. Not just for a few not just for some a little group out there, but for all people. And that's good stuff, amen? Good news of great joy that will be for all people. He tells them how to find the baby, and then the choir starts. Verse 13 says, Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying. Now, imagine you're the shepherds. You're freaked out because an angel showed up. The angel says, hey, it's okay. Don't worry. Like, you're already scared by one angel showing up. And he's like, don't be afraid. Everything's going to be all right. And then it says a multitude show up. Now, what's a multitude? A lot. I don't know. Thousands upon thousands, ten thousands upon ten thousands, more than the eyes can see, more than the eyes can count. If you're freaked out by one angel showing up, how much more so if suddenly there are ten thousand there? And I cannot imagine what the voices of angels sounded like. Now, my guess is they're not as high as we think and soft as we think. I think this is a victory song. This is a war chant victory song. Glory to God in the highest. He has come. He is here. He has set in motion what has been going on from the beginning, from creation, and it is time. I can think about the number of times that the angels watched as we messed around and did stuff that were not what God would intend. And they kept wondering, when is God going to act? When is God going to act? When is God going to do something? And not in a, in a doubting way, but like we can't wait till that moment. We are in anticipation for that moment. No one had waited longer for the birth of Jesus in the heavenlies than the angels. And they sing, glory. God in the highest, as much as we can, to the one that is on the throne. Glory to God. And then peace on earth, on those with whom his favor rests. 
It's this crazy thing that is in the midst of all of that, that God is saying to us that his glory is above anything that we can imagine. And he still in his holiness and his glory and his power and his might and his goodness has decided to give us an opportunity to have true peace. Now, the reason we can have peace comes from the fact of who it is in the manger. Verse 11 tells us today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. Today in the city of David, a savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. By the way, this is the only place in Scripture where all three of those titles for Jesus are put together. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Putting the city of David there reminds them that this is from the line of David. This is the promised one that God had said that his throne would never go away. And now God is establishing that. He was our savior. They would have been excited about that. That is, They would have thought of that as a political leader probably. But someone that's going to rescue the people of Israel. Someone like Moses who's going to bring them out of the captivity. Not of Egypt at this time but of Rome. That they're going to be brought out of that. God obviously had a spiritual nature in mind that this is the one who would save us from our sins, that would rescue us from our hopeless condition. Without him, we have no hope. But with Christ now, our Savior, we can be redeemed. We can be bought back. We can have our sins forgiven. Not only is our Savior, he's Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one. This goes to the fulfillment of the promise God had made to the Israelites that he would send an anointed one, one that would be different than everyone else, one that would live a life different, that would show us the way, that would allow us to understand what the chosen one of God would look like and act like and be like. But more so than that, not only is he the Savior, not only is he the anointed chosen one, but then it uses the word the Lord to mean that this is God Almighty in the flesh. It's not just a normal human being. It's not just a great man that's been born, although he was 100% man. This is God incarnate, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. We have in this moment a reminder from the angel. Not only is it good news of great joy for all people, but it's good news of great joy for all people simply because the child in the manger is Savior, Messiah, and Lord. And because we know that, because we as believers understand that, it tells us that we can have peace in our lives. When they sing, the host sing, and peace on earth to people he favors. Scripture makes it very clear that when we, following this, when Luke was writing this, he would have been writing it to convince people of the truth of Jesus Christ. And to the people he favors here is not some um, arbitrary choosing of God about favorship going to certain people. What is happening here is he is saying that God has chosen to put favor on those who understand the truth of who Jesus is. Luke writing from perspective of already knowing the end of the story, that Jesus will be crucified and raised from the dead, and that he would pay the price for our sins. For those people that have accepted the free gift of grace that comes from Christ to save us from our sins, to point us in the way of the Lord, and to show us who we can be in Him. Those that have accepted salvation from Him, that those people will find peace in their lives because of this child in a manger.
And that peace is for past, present, and future. It's peace from a past that includes sin and guilt and shame. Because of who Christ is, because of who the child in the manger is, you today can have complete peace and rest and wholeness from a past that involves sin and shame and guilt. It doesn't matter what you've done. The blood of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed on the cross of the child in the manger is strong enough to wipe away every sin. Your past can be made spotless. It can be made clean. It can be made whole. It can be forgiven. It also gives us peace in the present. Here's the truth I know. That it doesn't matter what the last week and a half, two weeks of 2020 presents or what 2021 or 2022 or if the Lord tarries and He gives me grace 23, 20, 28, 2040, whatever that is. It doesn't matter what happens in the midst of those circumstances. Because I have faith and trust and know that God is with me and will protect me and that I have a Savior who walks with me through it all. The book of Hebrews says that we have a high priest who knows what it's like to live our lives, basically. He was born to peasants who were poor and struggled. He was not born in a palace. He was not born to privilege. He was born in poverty to a family that were outcast. And he lived through the temptation that would come from the enemy multiple times in his life. And he lived a completely perfect, sinless life and died on the cross for our sins, rose again, and Scripture says that he has sent the Comforter to help us and that no matter what happens in our lives, we can stake our claim on the reality of the Savior as the child in the manger. So we have peace from our past and peace in the present. And then there's the reality that we have peace for the future. Because of who Christ is and what he has done on the cross, because of the child in the manger becomes the Messiah on Calvary, we can know that he will take care of our future. I love that great joy that's described in Jude 24, looking through the book of Revelation and thinking about the moments when we'll be gathered around the throne of God singing praises to his name. And I don't know what the songs will be, although we know that when you look at the book of Revelation, just as there were just people bursting into song at the birth of Jesus in the book of Revelation, people burst into song when it comes to being in the presence of God, when all of this is done and he has made right all that is happening. And as we burst into song, not out of awkwardness or, hey, that's what we got to sing, but just out of sheer joy and overflow of being saved by our Savior and our God, that when we do that and it comes out and it flows out of our lives, what we will see is that we will spend eternity in a place of complete peace. I've said on a couple other occasions this year, and as part of it is just as you grow older, as you get older, things start to, perspectives start to change and things start to happen. This year, I have prayed, 
Lord Jesus, come quickly more than any other that I can remember. And not out of a sarcastic way of like, oh, Jesus, come quickly. Out of a sincere heart desiring for him to make it right. And what I mean by that is for him to establish his rule and his reign forever. And man, I look forward to that day. I don't want to miss Christmas on Friday. But if he decided to come before then, I'd be okay. Amen. My gifts and gadgets, I ain't going to need anymore. And I look forward to that. It's an amazing little capsule of the gospel here. The angel comes and says, fear not, I bring you good news. The gospel with great joy for all people. Because Jesus has been born. And he is our Savior. He takes care of our past. He's the Messiah that shows us how to live in the present, confident in God. He is the one, the Lord, who will establish his reign and assures our future. One of the things that I love about, um, one of my favorite stories in Scripture comes in John chapter 6. And you've heard it from me many times, but I love just the, the moment that happens there when Jesus has got this huge crowd and he decides it's gotten too big and they're not there for the right reasons. So he, in the in the farmer's turn, he thins the herd. He, he, he gets some kind of many of them to leave. Everybody starts leaving. It says many left him on that day. And then he turns to his disciples and he says, hey, if you want to go, go. Now's the time. Like, this is it. And Peter turns to him and says, we don't have anywhere to go. Where else will we go, Jesus? We have seen and we have known that you are the Christ, the Messiah. We know that you're it. And our hope and our future and our present and our past is all squarely on you. Hark the Herald Angel Sings, by the way, has two more verses that we don't even have in our hymnal. Written originally by Charles Wesley, and I'm just going to read one of them in a moment. Let me just tell you, they're theologically dense, and there are going to be some words you might not use every day. But I want to read it and then explain it, and that's how we're going to close. Because I love the way. This is the fifth verse of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It doesn't even rhyme completely because we say it differently. Now, this is what he says is to happen because of the child in the manger. Adam's likeness, Lord, replace. Stamp thy image in its place. Second Adam from above, reinstate in us thy love. Let us thee, the lost, regain. Thee, the life, the inner man. O to all thyself impart, formed in each believing heart. (laughs) What it says there is, God, listen, we messed up. Like Adam before us, we have sinned and we need your image stamped on ours. And Lord, in us, give us the inner peace, the inner man that comes from you and give us all of yourself for every one of us that believe. My prayer for you for Christmas is that you'll have an awesome time with family, whoever's gathering with you, that the gifts will all be good. Everybody will be happy with everything. But more than anything, I pray that in this week ahead, that in some way you'll be able to take some time and use that moment to pray to God to continually change you into the image of who he is. Replace 
my image with your own. Give me all of you in this moment. If you're here today, either online or in the place, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, there is no better time in the world than Christmas to do that. To celebrate the birth of Christ with the rebirth of your soul. The rebirth of who you are. So I would say, if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you're not saved, you think you're too far from that, or you've just never considered it, or you've tried to do it all on your own, and this year or these months have reminded you that that can't happen, I want to encourage you today to seek the Lord and to accept His forgiveness. We'd love to know if that's something that you've done, it's something that you're thinking about, something you'd have questions about. You can leave a comment for us, you can... Send us a message. If you're here in the sanctuary, there should be a card somewhere around you. You can fill that out. Leave it in the seat. But when you leave, more than anything, my prayer is that this Christmas you will make sure that the child that we celebrate in the manger, that his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the dead and his offering of a gift to you of salvation, you have accepted. And that you have been changed by him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful just for the opportunity we have to join with the angel chorus and sing of the good news of great joy for all people. And that we can lift our voices day after day and declare glory to God in the highest and peace on earth for those on whom His favor rests. Well, we pray that today we would First of all, make sure that we are right with you, that we have accepted that free gift of forgiveness. And Lord, that today you would remind us again of your love and peace that can be available to our lives. Pray if there are those that have never accepted you as their Savior, Lord, that today would be the day that they would ask for forgiveness of their sins that comes only from you that they would accept what you have done for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.